0: Right, I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Ephesians 4 at verse 28. We'll read uh, verses 25 down to the through the end of the chapter and just consider verse uh, 28 this morning as we kind of uh, slog our way through uh, the end of this book here. I guess it's not really the end, we're kind of uh, stuck in the middle here for a while. In any case, um, We'll start reading at verse 25. Before we read it, though, and consider uh, this one verse, let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to this passage, we pray uh, for a measure of understanding where it is that we might have to grow, uh, a willingness to accept the pain of that, and uh, a delight uh, in response to our Savior's love for us, Your love for us. Uh, we pray that we'd have a delight and a joy to be those who uh, cease our stealing and indeed work hard that we might share with those in need. So work these things in us by your Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians 4 at verse 25, "'Therefore, uh, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil.'" Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And just one more time, the verse we're looking at, uh, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. May He bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So, beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here uh, today, uh, the Holy Spirit has I've been writing uh, in this uh, uh, second half of the book uh, about things which are so basic and vital to Christianity that if we uh, don't find them in our lives at all, it suggests that we're uh, not at all Christians, or more than suggests, it, it tells us that we're not Christians at all. And he deals with evil speaking, with anger, bitterness, rage, with laziness and stealing, with revenge. These are all things that are part of the former life that we're supposed to be putting off uh, putting away, taking off clothing-wise, and and putting on uh, the opposites of, and this morning we come to stealing, and it shouldn't surprise us then that uh, in First Corinthians six this actually makes the list of of the things which are, are not part of a Christian and which uh, merit not inheriting the kingdom of God. First Corinthians six, verse nine: Do not be deceived; neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, will inherit the kingdom of God. So. Clearly, this whole notion of stealing, thieving, and working hard is really kind of at the bedrock of Christianity. It's it's at the bedrock of of the evidence of what it is to be a Christian. If we're a Christian and we live a life of thieving and stealing, uh, then you, it would suggest that we are actually not Christians, that we're deceiving ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean, I want to be careful here, this doesn't mean that, that if we uh, stole something when we were younger or or we've fallen into a bit of a pattern lately of, of stealing, or that's, this past week we stole something that, that therefore we're not Christians. What this means is, is if the general character of our lives is, is a character of, of stealing, of thieving, of refusing to work hard to, to share with others. If that's the general character of our lives day in and day out, year after year, uh, then indeed it would suggest that, that we are not uh, born-again Christians. Uh, this whole notion of of stealing also get, kind of gets down to witness and evil speaking this whole section of the book of Ephesians gets down to our witness as well uh, th- th- our witness before a watching world the lord isn't calling non-christians in this book to live a certain way he's not saying look everyone who has skin on their nose is called to put away wrath is called to be done with sexual morality is called to uh, work hard and not steal uh, he's, he's calling Christians, beloved, to live this way, those who've been born again, those who, who can live this way by the Spirit uh, working inside of us. Uh, so, uh, uh, the world understands us maybe sometimes better than we do, because when Christians fall into sin, the world's the first one to come by and say, look, that, that's horrible, that's not a faithful witness, and they're right. They're right in saying it. And so, what Paul's addressing here are things that actually, before a watching world, we need to get straight in our own lives, we need to be dealing with, and where we fail, it's not the end of the world, we repent, right? We say, look, I'm sorry I blew it. You're right. You're exactly right. This is not living up to the calling to which I've been called. This is not bringing glory and honor to God's name, and, and I'm thankful that He's tender and kind, and I ask that you would for, forgive me. So the things that Paul is addressing here are, are really matters which have to do with our witness in the world, and these are also matters that are important to the world around us. Uh, if you look at the world around us, what are, what are some of the, the major sources of pain in people's lives? Out-of-control anger, right? Paul just addressed that. What are some other sources of, of things? Bitterness, right? He's going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, lack of forgiveness. Stealing. Major source of pain. Uh, bad marriages. He's going to get to that in Ephesians 5. Bad parenting. Kids not, kids not behaving. These are, these are major sources of things in the world around us, beloved, which matter, which bring pain. And so Paul's addressing some major themes here that have to do with, look, after we've been saved and God's given us all this grace, He didn't just save us so we could go do whatever we want. He's saving to create a a brand new people, a people who look different, who live different, who have different loves, and whose lives are shaped into the image of Christ rather than the image of the world. So what he's dealing with here, beloved, isn't nitpicking. These are very significant things that if we uh, pursue by the grace of God in us, the world will notice something different because it's, we're not going to look like the rest of the world when we pursue these things, including uh, stealing and working hard. Now, all of us are at different stages in this whole process, including uh, stealing and working hard, uh, and that's just the way God works. I remember in Springfield, there were, there were a couple uh, brothers. Uh, one, both had been drug addicts. Uh, both were saved and when the one was saved, his drug addiction dropped off immediately, was never once tempted after that, never, never again. It never even crossed his mind to do it. But for the other one, it was a yearly battle, a monthly battle. It was an hourly battle for him. And to this very day it is, and he'll probably take that to the grave. Uh, so it is in each of our lives, beloved. When we come to Christ, whether at one year old or, or 40 years old, if you came to Christ at one, you probably don't recognize this battle as much. But certain things, if you came to Christ later on in life, they drop off immediately, but others don't. And so you might find as we work through this stealing notion that, that you're going to wrestle in ways other people don't, that certain people might be like, yeah, I don't really stealing and all this, I, I, I don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to be honest, and God's given them grace to do it well. But you might wrestle with it tremendously. It doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. It just means in this realm, it's going to be more difficult for you. God is going to sort of leave you in this struggle <laughs> for His purposes, uh, and He hasn't left somebody else in this struggle, but they have different struggles. So... Uh, just with that, by, just by way of introduction, uh, I want to dive into the passage. No, no fancy outline. We're just going to walk through it uh, phrase by phrase. And first, look at uh, the prohibition: uh, no more stealing at beginning of uh, the verse. Let the thief no longer steal. At first glance, it seems weird that Paul would have to write this, right? These are born again Christians. These are people that he's served among for quite a while. He's known them, and he, <laughs> he's telling them after. You know, quite a few years, look, you got to quit stealing. The way he puts it tells us that there were actually Christians in the church at Ephesus who were continuing to steal. He's not saying, you know, let, let the, the one who stole five years ago repent. <laughs> He's saying, look, the, one among you, the, the people among you who are stealing, they got to stop. They have to quit this. They, they have, that has to get outside of the church. They can't have this in their lives anymore. So, we might be asking, well, who in the world in the congregation of Ephesus would be stealing? And the answer is, well, born-again Christians. There's believers in the church that are, that are stealing there. And so, Paul's writing uh, to, uh, to, 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 to grant that they would stop, to, to urge them to stop. So, the reason he's writing, don't steal, is because indeed there were some who were stealing. And the reason that the church all down through the ages since has had to look at this and consider is because We steal is because we can fall into patterns of thievery, wittingly or unwittingly. And so we need the exhortation. Look, we can't steal anymore. And then also what we're supposed to do instead of stealing. Now, what is stealing? Uh, stealing, you know, we could walk through the Westminster Larger Catechism with the Eighth Commandment. The stealing applies to a ton of things. Here's just a few of them. Uh, one, uh, one, one example of stealing is petty theft. Breaking into someone's car, stealing their stereo. Maybe high schoolers and college kids like to do that. Uh, petty theft, uh, walking into a department store, uh, taking something. I think uh, that's still maybe the number one loss for all retail stores uh, is is petty theft. People stealing things off the shelves, taking someone's jewelry, uh, change laying around, dollars laying around. That that's just petty theft. Not paying taxes is a form of stealing. We're called to render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. So not paying taxes, we're basically saying, Nope, I'm I'm not going to give the government what is. What is uh, their due? And no doubt it's easy to justify that one, right? We, we, we always say, well, the government misspends so much money. Uh, they, they abuse uh, the money. They don't spend it well. They spend it on things I don't agree with. But that, that, that's just us trying to justify stealing. Uh, we actually uh, need to pay our taxes or we're, we're stealing. Not working hard is a form of stealing. If an employer agrees to pay us a certain amount of, of money for work performed and we don't perform that work, we're basically stealing that money because we're not providing the good and service that, they, that they're paying us to. Employers can steal from their employees when they fail to pay them on time or if they don't pay them what's fair and they're just kind of using them as, as slave labor. Uh, sex trafficking is stealing. You steal the life of someone and you basically make money off them by abusing them or letting the public abuse them. Uh, abusing government programs to earn a living when you're capable of, obt- of, obtaining, of obtaining a job, that's stealing. So the government can say, hey, you have this disorder, you have this disability, um, therefore uh, we'll pay you this amount, and even though you could work and should work, uh, you say, I'm not going to, I'm just going to live off the government so I can be lazy and do nothing. That's a form of stealing from, not just from the government, but from your fellow taxpayers, right, who are paying the bill, you just... They just don't bring a ten-dollar bill over to your house, right? They pay it to the in taxes, and it comes to you. So there's indirectly, it doesn't feel as bad, but that's a form of stealing. This is not uh, saying anything against those who are legitimately disabled who can't work. Uh, praise the Lord, we have programs to help. That's a good thing, but it's against those who who can work and should be working, but just refuse to, uh, so they can uh, they can just live off uh, the 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 society as a whole. Uh, Interestingly enough, I came across this bargain hunting can be a form of stealing where, uh, you know, probably all of us love a good bargain, right? I know I do, where we go around with our money looking for something and we find a desperate seller who is dying to sell it and they're in a hard spot. It's not just, hey, I'm glad to get rid of this. You can have it for free. But it's bargain hunting in the sense of uh, these people are in a difficult spot. They need the money now. They are really hard up and we know it and we take advantage of it. So they're now weak. Financially, maybe they lost their job. So they're trying to s- liquidate their goods uh, because they need to sell it now. And we walk into their life and we say, you know what, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make them pay. I'm just going to get this as cheap as possible and, and, and inflict as much pain on them as possible and exploit the situation. That's a form of stealing. And it's not applying to people who say, hey, I, I don't need any money for it. I'm just having a garage sale whatever. Those are good bargains. But people who are weak and who actually need the help, uh, and we're in a powerful situation at that point, that can be a form of stealing. And also price gouging. Uh, uh, When markets allow us to, we just jack up the price and just steal from people, as it were. Most states, actually, uh, when they're in a state of emergency, when when they've declared a state of emergency due to a hurricane or some such event, they actually have uh, fines uh, for price gouging. So if you're a retail store, let's say mainly a, a, a Lowe's or a construction department store, Home Depot Menards, and you raise your prices by more than like 10 or 15% at that time, uh, they'll, they'll nail you to the wall for price gouging. Again, it's a form of stealing, uh, uh, exploiting the weak in times of difficulty. So why steal at all? Uh, why is stealing such a big deal? Why does it go on in our lives and in the lives of other people? Uh, there's a few reasons why it can happen. Uh, number one, to harm people some people are motivated uh, by the destruction of others to steal. Uh, they say, you know, what? my employer doesn't treat me well. I wish them ill. I'm just going to steal from my employer. Um, I, I, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal from someone who's rich, kind of a Robin Hood mentality. I'm going to steal from them in the hopes that, that I'll be able to hurt them through this. Some people steal uh, due to laziness. Uh, it's easier to make a couple big heists three times a year than to work 250 days out of the year, right? <laughs> just... You can steal once a month maybe and, and and make it through life rather than have to work, you know, 20, 25 days during that month. So laziness, it's just easier to steal. Some people steal due to entitlement. They believe in their heart of hearts that they're entitled to a better lifestyle than God has providentially given them. So given their work, given their calling, uh, they can only make so much and yet so-and-so has this different job and they make four times as much, well then... I'm entitled to a lifestyle just like that. So I'm going to steal from there. I'm going to steal in general because I deserve more, a sense of entitlement. The Pharisees kind of had this as well. Uh, Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 23, he said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery, robbery, theft, and self-indulgence. And then uh, earlier in the chapter, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses even while for a pretense you make long prayers. Devouring widows' houses, taking advantage of those who are weak. The Pharisees would do that. They, they felt like they were entitled to. We're, we're religious people. We serve God. So even the poor widow has to serve us. She needs to give us all she has. And maybe the biggest reason for stealing is this. For Christians, earthly-mindedness. Earthly-mindedness. We steal because we think that having treasure on earth is all there really is. That the biggest goal of life is to have as many things as you can die. He who dies with the most toys, right, wins. And uh, uh, that can be our, our motivation for stealing. There's actually three passages I want to look at really that kind of speak to this whole notion of earthly mindedness and, and trying to take for ourselves things that don't belong to us and accumulate things for ourselves that, that shouldn't belong to us. And and, and, and I want to look at these passages in the hopes that if we wrestle with this, that this can kind of grate against our soul a little bit and maybe turn us around from stealing or from trying to get gain that, that God just doesn't have in store for us in this life. The first passage is 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 10, a very famous one. Um, we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Catch that, food and clothing. It's not much, Right? <laughs> with these will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and one of those evils would be stealing. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, uh, beloved, if we're tempted to steal, tempted to try and take things which aren't ours, try and keep as much money as we can for ourselves illegally, if we're tempted to do that, maybe at the root of it is a love of money. And Paul's saying, be really careful with this, because some have loved money so much that they've walked away from the faith, that they've loved money more than Jesus. Uh, Judas Iscariot is probably the best example of this, right? He He would sell Christ, as it were, for 30 pieces of silver. He would go to the leaders and say, hey, I know where you can find him at night. He's all by himself. He's going to be praying in this garden, and there's no crowds around him anymore, so you don't have to worry about fear of crowds. You don't have to worry about getting the people turned against you. You can go find him all by himself. So Judas sells Jesus, as it were, uh, uh, steals uh, the rest of Christ's life, as it were, sells him for 30 pieces of silver. He's that greedy, that much of a lover of the world. Another passage, so the love of money causes people to do really dumb things including stealing. Another passage, Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So only when we get our minds around and our hearts around this notion that, you know what, money will come and go, but God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So if He calls you to be poor, He's right there with you. And if He calls you to live kind of a middle-class life, not rich or poor, He's right there with you. And if He calls you to walk through difficulty, God is right there with you. So, so don't love money because it's not going to walk with you and it may be gone tomorrow. And then one more passage, Psalm 62.10, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. And what this passage suggests is that robbery or thieving or stealing or wanting to accumulate wealth uh, through unjust gain is actually misplaced trust. Put no trust, set no vain hopes on robbery. In other words, if we are tempted to steal, we've kind of placed our trust in material things rather than in God, and we're setting our hope in accumulating material things rather than our hope in God. Well, Paul tells us not just don't steal, but he goes on to say work hard. So we're going to continue plugging away in the verse, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So the remedy for stealing is working. Instead of stealing, we, we must work hard. And he, he uses, if you look in your ESV, it's the word honest work, or it's literally just good work. So what he's calling the thief to is, you know, don't go from, from stealing to becoming, you know, a legitimate drug dealer, where at least you're not stealing, but you're doing it. Don't do that, because that's not honest work. That's not work which benefits society. It's not work which is good for people, which provides a good service or a good product that other people can buy he's saying do honest work or, or good work. And then he, he throws in this phrase, with his own hands. Now, this is likely a reference, uh, kind of a shot across the bow for the thief. Hey, you spend all this time using your hands to steal. <laughs> Why don't you use your hands for something good? So, so work with your own hands doing something good rather than stealing. And this doesn't mean that white-collar work isn't good before God or noble. It doesn't mean that at all. But this is an agrarian society. Paul's talking about, you know, getting a first job. If you're not going to be a thief, what are you going to get? Probably an entry-level job. So just start working with your hands. Just start going to town. Just start working in the fields. Do whatever job you can, um, which will probably not be a job in management uh, at this point for the thief, Um, and they should should just get to it. One thing this this does teach us, and this is what Christianity has always taught us, is that uh, blue-collar work is noble work. Now, I know in the world we value white-collar work more, right? If you, if you did a salary study of white-collar salaries versus blue-collar wages or salaries, you'd find that white-collar people make a ton more. So the world values white-collar work more than blue-collar work, which, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. But what is being taught here is that blue-collar work, working with your hands, just laboring, whatever that would look like in, in any sort of job that's good, is actually good before God. Like, it, it, it's good work to do. It's noble work, and, uh, uh, and, and Christians should, should, should grasp that. So, there's nothing wrong with doing manual labor for, for all of our days. There's something noble about that. What I want to spend most of our time uh, looking at, though, in this little phrase, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, is that word labor. It's an interesting word. Uh, the root of the word in secular Greek has to do with a beating, with 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 being beaten, uh, with kind of being <laughs> exasperated in pain, and so the word is used in the reference to work, and so Paul is saying, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, which means let him sweat it out, let him work hard. So let him let him work until he's beat. You know, you ever come home from someone asks you how you're doing or. You're at the end of the day, and you meet with somebody. How you doing? I'm just beat, right? We 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 have the same notion. Nobody asks. Well, who beat you? We we just realize. Well, they were working really hard. They're just worn out. They're beat. They're they feel like they've been beaten, right? Their their heads tired. They've they've got a pounding headache from thinking all day. Their hands are tired. Their legs are tired. Their backs tired. Whatever the case might be, they're beat. And again, this shouldn't come as a surprise to Christians that we're called to work like this. That the word for labor has to do with pouring yourself out strenuously so that you're just worn out at the end of the day. Because in Genesis 3:17, God told Adam this, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Catch that word, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. God's saying, look, from now on, your work is going to involve pain. There's, there's no way around it if someone has a job, there's going to be pain in that job, period. And by the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread. He didn't say by the sweat of your face, you'll thrive, you'll become wealthy. He said by the sweat of your face, you'll survive. So, so, so catch this, work is absolutely necessary just to survive. Pain is necessary to survive. Mental, physical sweat is necessary just to survive and make it through this life that's part of the curse and what paul is saying is the thief doesn't get this he's got to quit stealing quit living off other people quit being lazy and finally start sweating it out and getting to work like everybody else you know what's one of the most hated devices in any any home in america we, we hate it yet we never get rid of it and we sleep right by it right <laughs> it's an alarm clock why is it hated because it goes off and it reminds us, time to go to work, right? You push this thing as many times as you can if you're a snoozer, whatever. Maybe you're a morning person, but at the end of the day, it's always nice if you don't have to set an alarm clock, if you can sleep in or do something else. We hate it because it reminds us of work, the pain that's coming, the day that's coming, what, what may lay ahead, and sometimes we'd rather just sleep through it and do our own thing. Work indeed involves pain. Work is also necessary, uh, the, the part of the curse is by the sweat of our brow, by the sweat of our face, we'll eat bread. It's necessary to work and sweat in order to live. So let's say there's, what, 50, 60 people in this room. Every one of us owes our existence to someone's work. If we're a child, our parents work, right, or we don't survive. If, if we're disabled, someone works or we don't survive. If we're elderly and, and hurting, someone else works or we don't survive. If we're able-bodied, we work or we don't survive and other people around us don't survive. In order for people to survive all over the world, beloved, someone's working so that they can eat. Someone's working so that we can eat. It's part of, it's embedded in life. And what the thief doesn't get is, you know what? If I don't work, somebody else has to. They have to work and I just take from them the spoils of their work. And Paul's saying, if you're a believer, cut it out. And you finally got to jump in the game. You, you got to get in the ring. You, you got to go to work. You, you got to do your fair share. You got to sweat it out. There's no way around it. That's just part of life in this fallen world. In fact, work is so important for the Christian who is able to work. Paul says this, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Powerful words, right? It, it almost sounds cruel. And Paul's saying this, If a guy won't work, then let his stomach pains force him to get a job. Just, while well, he's gone. He hasn't eaten for three days. Well, maybe he'll start scheduling job interviews now. <laughs> In other words, don't be concerned what, whether or not this person eats. If they're able to work, that's the key word, able. Not speaking of someone who's not able, but if they're able to work and they're not willing to is what he says, then don't worry about whether or not they eat. Let them starve to death. Let let them go. That that That's, that's the way Paul puts it. And I don't know if you've seen this. I've seen it work itself out and a lot of times there's government programs that will bail people out, and so their stomach pains actually don't issue forth in them getting a job. But as far as the church is concerned, beloved, if there's people in our midst, work is so important for our witness and for glorifying God that Paul says, if someone won't work, don't, don't be concerned about whether or not they have a hamburger to eat at night. Just don't worry about it. Work is also big for witness. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 to 12, Paul says this, We urge you, brothers, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Walk properly before outsiders. Uh, what Paul's saying, and what the world knows as well, even if we don't get it, is a lazy Christian is maybe one of the worst witnesses in the world. Uh, no one respects a lazy Christian No one respects, in the world around, forget Christians, non-Christians, no one respects someone who's lazy and is mooching off everybody else and stealing from them. No one respects them. No one looks up to them. No one thinks, I want to have that life. No one's doing TED Talks about such a person. No one's making YouTube videos about such a person. It just doesn't happen, beloved. So part of our working hard is actually as a witness to the lost world around us. And they may even ask you this, why do you work so hard? Why are you so diligent? Why, Why are you honest? Why, why, do, why do you care about serving your employer well? Why, why do you care about this? And what an opportunity to say, well, let me tell you about my Lord. Let me, tell you, let me tell you about how He saves and what He's called me to do. Uh, beloved, there should be a radical difference uh, in our hearts as far as our attitude toward work. And then finally, we're called to work to share. So that He may have something to share with anyone in need, ends verse 28. So that He may have something to share with anyone in need. So what the thief neglects to consider is this, his neighbor. God calls us to work and make something so that we can share with other people. And the thief is thinking, what's in it for me? I just want to steal so I can make it, so I can thrive. God's saying, look, if you're a believer, you, you need to love me with all your heart. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. And part of loving your neighbor is if your neighbor's in need, you need to have something you can take to him and share with him or her. So the, the, the thief is neglecting the neighbor. And we can say, well, who is my neighbor, right? <laughs> who, who's the one in need that I need to be helping? Well, uh, Paul would say it starts with our family members, right? First Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith, Is worse than an unbeliever. So, so we go to work to share with, with, for sure, our immediate family members, right? Our spouses, if we're the only one working, or for sure our kids until they're able to provide for themselves but it, it, it spills out to any believers in need, to anyone in need, any particular, even, even non-Christians who, who have a need. And this is to be our lifestyle. We work so that we can share. And what a difference this makes, beloved. If we go to work and all we're thinking about is how soon can I retire? How much wealth can I accumulate? Uh, how much joy can I suck out of this life? Pretty soon work becomes a drudgery. It will. You'll never make enough you'll look at Warren Buffett, you'll see these massive yachts, you'll see these incredible vacations, you'll see four homes owned by somebody, and you'll never have enough. But if the, our attitude toward work is this, I'm working, and you know what? Someone else has this need. I'm glad to work because I'm so thankful to God that I can help them because of what He's done for me. God has given me so much. He's given me strength. He can take it away tomorrow. He's given me earning power with this job, but he can that can end tomorrow as well. But He's put me in a position of strength, and and here's, a, here's someone else who has a need, and I'm so glad that I can help, not to be a savior to them, but because God has saved me, and He's been gracious to me, so now I'm going to go and, and, and share with them. Uh, working hard to share is actually a tremendous joy. Paul put it this way in Acts 20, 35, "'In all things I have shown you that by working hard this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, "'It's more blessed to give than to receive.'" So you'll find joy, beloved. We'll find joy when we work hard and then share. It brings joy because we're giving and it's blessed to give. Proverbs 22, nine puts it this way, a generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. So when the sharing is the blessing and the sharing is the joy. And then, you know, Winston Churchill, not this is the Bible, it's not, said we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. So even, even our own witness before the world Look, we can make a living by getting a lot of things, we can have a great living. But we make a life and a reputation by what we give and by what we share. Well, what does this have to do with, with Christ? Look, our God is a God who works. Our God has been working from the beginning. The, the first time we encounter God, He's already working, right? In creation. He worked six days and He took the seventh day off. And then Jesus shows up, and we find Jesus saying interesting things, especially in the gospel of John regarding work. John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. John 5, my Father is working until now, and I am working. Later on in John 5, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So, Jesus came to work to do the Father's will. And it's interesting, if you look at the life of Jesus, is filled with work. He prayed when other people slept. He healed people way past supper time until his family members, I think it's in Mark 3, just thought he was out of his mind. He's working so much. I mean, he's really taking his work uh, seriously. Uh, he's so tired from his work. Now, remember the disciples are on the sea, the waves are coming in. What's Jesus doing? Sleeping. They're freaking out. <laughs> There's no way you could be asleep on this ship. There's no way you could be in the, in the belly of this fishing boat sleeping with your head on a pillow unless you're absolutely worn out. And that's our Savior because He's been working. He hits shore and He'll have more work to do. He left shore from working hard and there's a bit of a reprieve and the storm comes. He labored more than 12,000 days, never once cutting the work uh, short that He came to do. In the Garden of Yosemite, you're working. you see Him working so hard, He's sweating as it were, great big drops of blood. That's hard work, that's stress. That's, that's anxiety through the roof like none of us have ever seen or will see. Praise God. Uh, you see him working. Uh, you know, on Thursday night into Friday morning, he actually went through about six trials. If you take a look at what's going on, uh, the Sanhedrin, the chief priest, Pilate, Herod, Pilate is going back and forth, work beloved. Most of us would have thrown in the towel, I haven't slept for at least a day, maybe two. I'm worn out. I've been praying I'm here for my people. I'm, I'm done, we might say. There's no way I can go through with this. But Jesus Christ worked. It's work, beloved, to be beaten. It's work to sweat it out. He's so worn out, he can't even carry his cross up the hill. This is God working for us. This is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, and frankly, we wouldn't even want to do for ourselves. And then on the cross, he does the ultimate work. Here's the work. You bear the punishment that's due sinners, even though you have never sinned. You, you stand there and you take it. You take the beating, you take the pain, you take the hell, and you don't move. You don't come down, you don't say stop, and you don't call the 12 legions of angels. Sweat it out. Bleed it out. Undergo the pain. There's no tap-out session. There's no end-of-day buzzer, I get to go home now. No work. And that's what Christ signed up for, beloved, so that we could be saved so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have this incredible joy that's coming our way, hear a foretaste, but in the next life, every single day, every second of every day, just tremendous bliss, God worked so that we could have all these benefits. He worked to share because at the end of the day, when Jesus rose out of the grave, He didn't say, look at me, here's how amazing I am. It stinks to be you guys. No. What does He do? He shares this with us. We're, we're now co-heirs. Catch that. We inherit everything Christ does. He shares the inheritance with us. So He worked to share with us, and He shares everything. So, beloved, when that gets down to the depths of our heart and soul, when we grasp this, when we understand this, God, God sweat, God bled, <laughs> Jesus bled, Jesus died. That's her work for me and my salvation, for my soul. And then He shared all the benefits with me. And I still haven't seen most of the benefits yet, right? They're coming. <laughs> if He's done that for me, then our perspective, my perspective, has to be totally different when I go out and work. It's Father, thank You for the opportunity to work. Thank You that I never have to sweat like Jesus did under Your wrath. And I'm happy to go work, and I'm happy to go serve, and I will be sharing now because You shared with me. So, beloved, let's... Let's just take time to, to pray, and I hope every one of us can consider what this looks like in our life. Who are those people in your life who need things? Who are those people in your life that God has providentially placed? He's put you there, and He's put them there, and you have an opportunity to help them. Who are they, and are you doing anything about it? Do you, do you see them? Do I see them? And do, does it affect how we work? When we go to work, do we think, Father, how can I bless other people through this work? Be, because we should. We should. And that's why God's put us in a position uh, to do just that, to be generous. Let's pray together.